0: Psalm 23, and we're actually on um, week number nine, and I was going to make this the last week, but I decided to go 10 weeks just so we can round it off, and uh, that's exciting. Um, one of the things that, that I hope that we are all gaining from this teaching series is, is the revelation, the understanding, and even the practical application in our lives that we are the sheep, I say this every week, of a very good shepherd. Okay? That we are getting a good picture of who we are as sheep, all of our idiosyncrasies and um, inconsistencies and um, goofiness, but also that he is a very good shepherd and he knows how to tend to those things uh, in our lives. Amen? Tonight, what I want us to do is I want us to look at Psalm 23. Verse 6. Okay, so look at that real quick, and and you might want to write some things beside that one verse tonight um, because we'll look at it. It says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Let me go ahead and give you the title of this sermon. It's My Legacy. Write that down. My Legacy. And while I'm at it, let me go ahead and give you this whole sermon in one sentence. The love of a shepherd is the legacy of his sheep. The love of the shepherd is the legacy of his sheep. And there's several things that we could pull out from this one verse. Um, I'm going to look at three things in particular and I'm going to focus on one more than the other two and it's going to be towards the end. Remember I've told you that Psalm 23 seems to be a walk through the four seasons of shepherding sheep. Spring, summer, fall, winter. And you can look at verses one through three and you can easily see the spring season, okay? This is the season when the shepherd is, uh, he's close to home. It's the months where they're at the ranch. It's it's the season where he's making them lie down in green pastures. He's leading them beside quiet waters. He's restoring their souls, guiding them in paths of righteousness. And, uh, And we talked about how things are a little bit easier on the shepherd and more relaxed for the sheep during the spring months because they are at home on the ranch and there's more eyes on the prize, more people tending the sheep, maybe the family, maybe there's hired hands. But when the summer months come, when the summer months come, it's time to take that long, challenging trip up into the mountains because the weather's gonna be cooler. The grass is going to be um, more available. Remember last week we talked about those mountain plateaus, those tables. We also have mentioned before that during the summer months up in the mountains, this, all the snow is going to be mountains so uh, melting. So there's going to be plenty of cool water for the sheep. But because they're away from home, It's just going to be them and it's just going to be the shepherd. Any provision, any protection that they receive is going to come from him and him alone. And that's why you see a turn right here in, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you see a turn from second person where we read, he guides me, he leads me, he restores. It moves into a first uh, first person. I will fear no evil when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death because you are with me. And now the rest of the psalm becomes very personal. When we get to surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, what we're seeing is another season change. Okay, the, the leaves are starting to turn. The, the grass is becoming a little more scarce. Um, It's getting a little cooler. There might even be some early snows. And obviously, if there's early snows, it's going to drive the sheep down the mountains. We're talking about the fall season, right? We're talking about the fall. And a good shepherd is going to know it's time to get the sheep back home. Okay? It's time to lead them back down to the ranch. I think one of the things that David is saying as he puts himself in the place of the sheep, which is what he's doing as he's writing this psalm, He's pondering the value of having a good shepherd. He is declaring, you saved me from that season. That's my first point tonight. I want you to write that down. You saved me from that season. And of course, the season that I'm talking about is those summer months, those difficult summer months, those hot, crazy summer months. How many of you guys have ever experienced that state of mind or that state of heart when you're in the fire, you know, you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, and you just know that the outcome is going to be the end of you. You know what I'm talking about? Or the end of your job, or the end of your marriage, or the end of your whatever, right? You can, you can fill in the, in the blank. But on the other end of that season, you were still alive. You came through it. You're still alive. And not only alive, somehow, you know that you are stronger. Are you guys listening to me? And you're wiser, and you're more mature, you're better equipped. You know what I mean? You ever you ever felt that? It's like at the end of that season, that that state of your heart, you're like, I just know. It's kind of it's a hard feeling to describe. Probably the best way to describe it is just full. You know, you're you're full. Well, I think this is the feeling that David is trying to get across in this psalm. Again, as he's pondering. The life that he has under such a strong, brave, uh, attentive, good shepherd. In fact, what does he say right before that? He says, "He says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows." Right? He's saying, "I am full. I'm on cloud nine. Surely, goodness and mercy are going to follow me forever." You guys picking up what he's laying down right there? He's like, this is, he's, he's feeling great. This statement is a declaration that God's got my back. If you look at Isaiah 52 verse 12 uh, and also Isaiah 58 verse 8, both of those tell us that God goes before us. And We talked about that last week that um, you go before me and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. We talked about that last week. And this is declaring that as well. You go before us. But it also says that he is our rear guard. In other words, he goes behind us. There's no angle that God doesn't have covered in our lives. When we are going through difficult stuff, we can declare that Romans 8.31, right? My God is for me, not against me. Can I get an amen? (laughs) As Christians, as sheep who are under the care of a good shepherd day and night... I can, I can journey through this season of difficulty and know with confidence that God's got my back. Isn't that good to know? I was reading a commentary um, by Charles Spurgeon, that old great, you know, pastor, theologian, writer. And he, was, he did the commentary on Psalm 23. And so I was reading the commentary on this portion. And, he, and listen to what he says. I'm just gonna read it. These twin guardian angels... And he's talking about goodness and mercy. These twin guardian angels will always be with me at my back and my beck. Now, have you ever, how many of you ever heard uh, someone's at your beck and call? That, that's really, that's an old way he's saying it. To be at your back means that all you gotta do is call. You know, all you gotta do is call out, cry out. I love that. He will always be, those two guardian angels will always be with me at my back and at my back when I need him. Just as when great princes go abroad, they must not go unattended, so it is with the believer. I love that thought of not being left unattended. Isn't that a good thought? How many of you parents know what can happen when you leave your kid unattended? <laughs> or some of you, you know, you single guys, single ladies, all single ladies all Maybe you've done enough babysitting to know that you do not leave the child unattended. Right? Am I speaking to the right crowd? Because it can get crazy. Um, I can't remember if it was in the middle of the night. Maybe Melissa can help me. Or if it was during one of the nap times. But we started hearing Cannon, our middle son. He was about he was probably 18 months. He was definitely walking and could get around and move around and stuff. But we were, I think it was in the middle of the night and uh, we heard him crying. And of course, if you're, if you're a parent, you know that if your child cries out, you don't have to run in there right away and rescue them from waking up. You know what I mean? You can let them cry a little bit. Hopefully they will put themselves to sleep. Okay. So he's crying and we're like, oh, he'll be all right. He'll be all right. And uh, and then we still hear him crying. And how many, you know, parents, it can take a good 30 minutes for them to go back to sleep depending upon the situation. So we're, you know, like, he's crying, he's crying. So finally Melissa's like, go check on him, see what's going on in there, you know. So I get up and I'm looking for him. I'm like, where is he at? And it was dark, of course. But I look and what had happened was the, what do you call that? Baby bed, the crib that we had gotten... (laughs) It was, it was borrowed from somewhere, um, from someone, because we had given the one that we had for Aiden away. it was four years later, we didn't have one, so we borrowed one. And they had used this on all of their kids, you know what I mean? So we just had it. And what happened was, this thing came apart. And I'm looking for him, I mean, and he's still kind of moaning and grinding, and kind of, not like screaming, ah! you know, but he's just making enough noise, like, something's not right, I guess. And what had happened was, he had, the bed had kind of come apart, and he had, slid down the back of the bed and his head was caught in between the crib, the mattress, and the wall. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but some of you are like, that explains a lot. You know. And so of course I, I get him out and, and you know he's he's okay. And listen listen to me. That wasn't his fault. It was Melissa's fault. <laughs> You should have. No, it's probably my fault. I should have screwed in the bolts. Whatever. Anyway, listen, sometimes stuff just happens. Isn't that right? Stuff happens, but we are not left unattended. We are not left alone. Goodness and mercy are watching over us. Spurgeon says, like guardian angels. Isn't that good? I love that imagery. But listen to me. Sometimes kids get themselves into their own trouble. We were hanging out with Nick and Les, uh, Nick and Tabitha Lesmeister um, one night at our house. And uh, you guys know Nick. Um, that he used to be one of our elders. They moved to Dallas. Anyway, we were hanging out of the house and sipping coffee in the living room. And, and uh, my daughter, Emma Kate, and their daughter, Naomi, they were in her room and they were playing and they were doing whatever. So it was great. But all of a sudden, we hear these blood-curdling screams. It's like, what? And Melissa and Tabitha, of course, they just, they jump out. And we have this door that separates our living room area for the other, from the rest of our house. It helps with noise and stuff. As soon as she opened that door to run back there and see what was going on, you caught this big old whiff of lemon. It's like, what? And I immediately knew what had happened. And what had happened, Hawes. <laughs> and Kate and Naomi had decided to play with Melissa's nice, expensive essential oils. And they had gotten it all over their hands. And I don't know what they did, but they got it all in their eyes. How many of you know lemon in the eyes isn't good, especially when it's undiluted oil, you know? <laughs> and so they are screaming, screaming bloody murder. And they, of course, they go in and they, they rush in. And they start flushing their eyes out, hoping it be better. Now, listen to me. Both of these girls knew that they weren't supposed to be playing with those nice, expensive, essential oils. But they didn't obey. They disobeyed, and they got themselves in trouble. But did you notice how the parents rushed in? Well, not me and Nick. We stay there on our couch, and we were sitting coffee. It's like, yo, you women folk can deal with all that. <laughs> it's your oils. <laughs> Listen, David knows. We're talking about King David. A lot of us know his history. He knows that he's not a perfect sheep. As he's writing this, he knows that he is prone to wander. That he could stray from the shepherd just like anyone else. Find himself, you know, in a bog or falling off the edge of a cliff. Okay? He knows that, he knows the trouble that his own choices can get him into. His own sin. He knows what can happen. And so this statement is also a declaration of you save me from my sin. Goodness and mercy shall follow me. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You save me from my sin. God is a God who rescues. Bottom line. Can I get an amen? Bottom line. All the time, always. And mercy is his motivator. Can we say that together? Mercy is God's motivator. motivator. One more time and more unison. Mercy is God's motivator. It absolutely is. We know that God is seated upon mercy. We know that he reigns and rules this universe from a throne of grace and a seat of mercy, right? I say all the time to you guys that God's first inclination towards you is grace and mercy, not wrath and judgment. His first inclination is grace and mercy. There's times where he has to kick us in the tail, right? But his first inclination is one of grace and mercy. Now that word mercy that we find here in Psalm 23, it is most often translated loving kindness. In fact, yours might actually say goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. It's, it's, you will see loving kindness probably more than you will see mercy. Psalm 6 verse 4 says, return, and you can write that reference down, return, O Lord, rescue my soul, save me because of your loving kindness. He's asking God to save him, and he knows that he will because of what? Because of his loving kindness, because of his mercy. David knows that when, and listen, it's a when, not if, when God saves him, it would be because of his mercy. In Psalm 13 verse five, he says, but I have trusted in your loving kindness. I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. He puts his trust in God's loving kindness. Psalm 27, uh, 21 verse seven says, for the king, he's talking about himself, for the king trusts in the Lord and through the loving kindness of the most high He will not be shaken. In other words, I don't have to worry or waver. Be shaken because I know what God's mercy is for me. It follows me all the days of my life. And that's why you can look at Psalm 23 verse 6 where it says, Surely goodness and mercy. You could say it this way. I trust that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Last week we talked about faith. And we talked about how faith was a confident expectation. I have, listen to me carefully. I have confidence that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Lamentations 3, right? I have confidence that because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Even when we were dead in our sin. Why? Because goodness and mercy follows me all the days of my life. Isn't this good? Isn't this good to know? This is good theology, right? This is the thing. This is what helps us get out of the bed every day. Because how many of you know you get out of the bed and you know that you are prone to wander? Lord, I feel it, right? So thank God that today he will be following me with goodness and mercy. That I can trust in his loving kindness. Now, I'm just saying. I love, uh, I love the Bible. It just encourages us. 1 John 2 verse 1 says, My little children. This is John talking to his disciples, the people that he has charge over. That he's, he has been uh, charged to encourage. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He didn't want his disciples, his friends, his, his family, those he led. He didn't want them to sin. He's like, I don't want y'all to sin. I'm writing this so that you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, because John was a realist, <laughs> right? If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Isn't that good? And listen, not only is he advocating for the forgiveness of our sins, he's also advocating that God the Father work the situation out for our favor. Isn't that what we read in Romans 8, 28? That all things work for the good of those who love him, and listen, are called according to his riches in mercy. Isn't that good? All things work together for the good of those who love him. In other words, even when... I sin, God's mercy has a way of cleaning up my mess. How many of you are glad for that? Give a hearty, righteous amen on that. Come on. Now listen, I can't take that truth and use it as permission to sin. Romans 6 says you can't do that. Romans says that's that's not the best way to honor God. The best way to honor God is to work not to sin which is what John was trying to say, right? That's the way to honor God. Not to take that truth and say, I will be fine because God's mercy follows me. He'll clean up my mess. The goal is to not make a mess, right? But there's an understanding that when we do, he is behind me. He is ready and waiting with goodness and mercy. Can I get an amen? Now, here's my last point. I'm gonna spend a little bit more time on this. Write this down. You're gonna need to take take a double look here. You save others, you save others through my savor. And it's not savior. I didn't misspell anything. It's it's savor. Let me explain what I'm talking about so you don't think I'm a heretic. And I'll explain by defining savor. As a noun, most of us know what, we know what savor means. The quality in a substance that affects the sense of taste or smell. The second one kind of, you know, echoes that. Uh, particular taste or smell. But look at definitions three and four. They, it's a little, more, a little more involved, another angle. To, uh, savor, as it now means, distinctive quality or property. A distinctive quality. And look at the fourth one. The power to excite or interest. And then if you look at one of the verb uses to exhibit the peculiar characteristics it can literally mean to smack of how I many of you ever said man I don't know that smacks of something I don't know what his problem is but it smacks of something I don't know. you know you ever use that you know where that comes from that smacks of something right you know like when you're eating something you guys know what I'm talking about when you're eating something like what is that what is that flavor <laughs> how many of you have eat- have it, how many of you have eaten something a million times? But then you... Cliff's like, I've eaten something a million times. <laughs> Let me finish, buddy. How many of you eaten something a million times, but then you have it prepared in such a way that was so good that you were ruined? Like you could never eat it another way. You guys know what I'm talking about? My wife has this, this rub of, made of these... Combination of spices. She calls it her. What do you call it? I wrote it down. Your crazy good chicken rub. How many of you have had most crazy good chicken rub? It's <laughs> crazy good. It's like she calls it crazy good chicken rub. When, I don't know when she came up. It was what? I think it was during our Israel trip or sometime she came up with it and she was selling it. Anyway, when she cooks chicken tacos or chicken breasts or chicken fingers or chicken toes or whatever chicken nuggets. It is so good, and it's like, anytime I have anything other than that, it's like, eh, it's not Melissa's crazy good chicken rub, you know? Because it had the power to excite me. It had the power to savor. The whole idea of this word is to bring attention to with great interest. you guys hear what I'm saying? To savor, to bring attention to with great interest. It's the same idea as when Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way. Let it shine in such a way that people will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You guys hear what I'm talking about? So listen, the way that we live our lives should have a savory effect on people. <coughs> uh, hence the, the point. You save others through my savior. Now we know that, that he's, God saves people through the savior. Okay, please know I'm not coming up with something new. Okay, I'm saying that we have the ability to draw people to God by the way our life stands out, the power, the distinctive quality. Remember it said to exhibit the peculiar characteristic. Does scripture tell us that we are a peculiar people? We're peculiar because we stand out. People are like, what is different about you? We have a distinctive quality or a distinctive Property. How many of you? How many of you have heard that phrase? Love changes everything. How many of you remember that old song? There's an old song. I don't remember how it goes, but love changes. Well, isn't it true that love changes everything? Love can change people, right? How many of you have literally seen that? Love change. Just, just love. All they needed was some love. All they need is love. You know, all they needed was love. Well, that makes sense because First John tells us. Like first, um, that tells us that perfect love casts off fear. So you think of somebody maybe that you've known, or maybe you were that person, and you were so fearful, you're anxious all the time, you're just on edge, and then you met the love of the Father, or maybe you experienced the love of, of God's people, and something in the middle of that cast that fear off of you. That perfect love pushed away that fear, and no longer were you fearful, but you were confident, of course, we've talked about how confidence really is the same thing as faith. You found faith in God. Uh, love has the ability to change a person. Love also has the ability to change a situation. Or it has the ability to change a conversation. Remember in Ephesians where Paul says, the There are times where you're going to have to speak the truth. You're just going to have to tell the truth and speak it like it is. But when you do, what are you supposed to speak it in? Love. When you can come into a conversation or a situation and speak the truth, sometimes what needs to be said needs to be said, but it's how you say it. Love changes things. Okay, so listen, our ability to love is something that sets us apart. As Christ followers, it's one of the savory flavors that we possess, that we bring to a situation, that we can bring to a relationship. We have the ability to lay down our judgments, to lay down our agendas, to just accept somebody where they're at and for who they are, right? And to have this internal and eternal hope that they can be something different, that they can be someone different, right? Okay, so isn't it important then that we don't lose that ability to love, Listen, if we, the moment we lose the ability to love, it's like we are losing our savor. And Jesus talks about this uh, a little bit, Luke 14. Um, he's talking about it in the bigger context of who we are, all the savory qualities we possess. He says in Luke 14, verse 33, he says, in the same way, he's talking to his disciples, in the same way, any one of you who does not give up everything, Cannot be my disciples. Then he says, salt is good, but if the salt loses its savor, with what will it be seasoned? And he follows it up with an interesting statement that will be useful here in a little bit. He says, it is neither fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. What a strange thing to say, but it's going to come in handy. So put that on the shelf. Grab the poo, put it on the shelf. We're going to come back to it. And love isn't, listen, love isn't the only um, flavor that we carry that will grab people's attention. Um, and We could talk about the savory flavors of the saints of God all night long. Here's my point. I want you to to, to focus in. We are only even able to love because God first loved us. Isn't that right? Isn't that what we read in First John 4, 19? We love because he first loved us. The love of a shepherd is the legacy of his sheep. You guys see that? The love of a shepherd is, is the legacy of his sheep. We are able to love because he loved us first. I told you in another sermon that sheep have the innate ability to completely destroy land. I mean they can demolish a piece of property. And I don't have time to tell you all the reasons why and how they do that. You can go back and listen to the entire series, but let me just say that if they are left unattended, okay, if they are poorly managed, if they are mismanaged, if they are shepherded by a bad and merciless shepherd, they have the ability to turn even the best grazing lands into a wasteland. You guys remember when we talked about that? Okay, by the way, the, the devil is a bad and merciless shepherd whose only goal and desire is to destroy the green pasture of your life and turn your life into a wasteland. That's why we got to be serious about connecting to a good shepherd. Isn't that right? Okay so a good shepherd listen to me in complete contrast a good shepherd one who attentive att, att, how do you say that attentively attentively he pays attention closely to his flock one that manages his flock well with goodness and mercy can literally turn a wasteland into green pastures <laughs> let me say it this way Sheep can be the most destructive livestock if they are not managed well. But on the flip side, they can be the most productive lifestyle, uh, livestock. They can be the most productive livestock if they are managed well because they have the best, wait for it, balanced manure. Manure of any other livestock. They have good poo. All the junior high guys are going, wow. Listen, I've read about ranches that were completely desolate. I mean, completely destroyed, useless land that after a couple of years of properly managing sheep, literally turned it around, totally restored Just after a couple of years. Isn't that awesome? And how did that happen? Figuratively, it's because goodness and mercy followed them. They were managed well. They were loved right. They were tended to well. And the results were, they did what they did. They had healthy poo and other things. And so what they left behind them, if you will, was what it needed To completely restore that land. They left behind them something worthwhile and productive and beautiful. Some call it manure. Some call it gold. It's funny actually. There's an old Spanish proverb. that This is what it says. The foot of the sheep is golden to the land. Isn't that interesting? The foot of the sheep is golden to the land. Okay. So let's let's rein it in. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Does goodness and mercy follow you? Does goodness and mercy follow you? You are the sheep of a very good shepherd. Does goodness and mercy follow you? Is all the stuff that I'm talking about right now, is that true of your life? In other words, you can ask yourself, do I leave a trail of sadness or do I leave a trail of gladness? Because how many of you know there's a big difference? Is my presence a blessing or depressing? That's a valid question. Some of you are like some of you are like bumping somebody, you're like, please ask yourself that question. <laughs> let, the, let me ask those again. Do I leave a trail of sadness or gladness? Now people really are able to. How many of you ever know somebody that come into a room? How many of you see okay. How many of you have seen that skit from Saturday Night Live, Debbie Downer? I mean, it is, it's, you know, sometimes it can get a little out of hand and inappropriate. But overall, I mean, they call her Debbie Downer. Why? Because she can come in where there is gladness and instantly bring sadness. It's crazy. It's actually kind of funny. Is my presence a blessing or is it depressing? How many of you have ever heard that phrase? Blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to, do, to be a blessing. You know where that comes from? It comes from the promise that God made all the way back in Genesis to Abraham. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. A short version of that would be I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. I'm going to tell you a couple stories real quick. Um, When the the teenagers were preparing to go to the SST. When they were preparing, they were raising their funds, they were getting things together. They were sending in their applications, they were getting, you know all this stuff. Melissa heard from their team, from the SST team, the, the YW and West uh, SST team, that they were like, "Wow, you guys have your stuff together." People were sending their applications in on time for the most part. People were turning in their money. I mean, they got checks, they had money in their hands, and they kind of didn't know what to do. We got your money already." And so when Melissa and the team got there, these people were actually really excited to meet the SST students from Soma Church. You know what had just happened? Goodness and mercy followed them because they were doing good. They did the right thing. You guys hear what I'm saying? Another great example is um, last weekend, how many of you went to the Pancake fundraiser with Melissa Higginbotham? It was so fun. Okay, here's what, here's what you may not know, or may, maybe she posted this, maybe. But they're there, and, and the owner, the guy who was running the whole thing that night, he was just watching. He was just watching. He was like amazed at the, at the friendship, the community, the laughter, the playfulness, the get it done mentality, you know, and all these people coming in and supporting Melicia. He was like, wow. And it, when it came time to settle all things at the end of the night, and for the, the um, manager to take his cut of the, of the proceeds, the prophet, he said, you know what? Keep it all. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Melissa and I were youth pastors for seven years, had a huge youth group. We took them to uh, camp every summer. That camp loved it when PCY came to camp. And you know why? Because the way we did things and structured things in our youth ministry was to serve. And so when we would get to that camp, they knew serve the cooks, serve the wait staff, serve the cleaners, serve the whatever, if you, serve the rock if you have to serve the rock, whatever you have to do. And we made a game of it and they were able to get points and stuff. But the people of that encampment knew when PCY, Prairie Creek Youth, comes to camp, we get to sit back and take a break. And they loved it. They loved it. Remember that? Every year they loved when we came. They loved it. And the same thing on, on our, we used to take our kids um, down to New Orleans and with YWAM New Orleans, same thing. They loved it because we always left that place way cleaner than when we got there. They're like, oh man, this is the week that Prairie Creek's coming. We are gonna get a clean house, you know. They loved it. Goodness and mercy followed us. Listen, Melissa and I were meeting one time. We had a, um, a quick dinner date or something with um, uh, a guy and his wife that we knew that were youth pastors at the same time that we were. They were youth pastors of a, a big church. In fact, their, their, um, their youth group was probably twice our size. And we got to talk and shop, you know, about youth ministry and things we do. And listen, they started talking about camp. And he started talking about how, oh yeah, we trash camps, man. When we go into a camp, we trash it. Man, we are, we are never, listen, we are never able to go to the same camp twice, And just something puckered in me, you know what I mean? I'm just like, you're excited about that? I mean, I was truly disturbed. You guys know what I'm talking about? And went on, and basically mission trips and camps, and like to smile at the same time you say, yeah, we trashed that place. I'm like, that is not goodness and mercy. You guys hear what I'm saying? What that is, is crappy. You know what I mean? Pun intended. So a couple questions I want to leave you with. They're going to be up on the screen. Ask yourself this. Do I leave behind peace or chaos? Do I leave behind peace or chaos? Do I leave behind forgiveness or bitterness? These are good questions, aren't they? Do I leave behind contentment or conflict? Do I leave behind joy or frustration? What is in my wake? What is on the trail that I leave? Joy or frustration? And here's one more. Do I leave behind love or do I leave behind hate? Remember, the love of, of a shepherd should be the legacy of the sheep. Now Let me take it a step further and I want, you, I want you to listen to me close. Ask yourself this, how do I deal with sinners? How do I deal with people that don't know God? Sinners. People who have not yet found the love of the Father and they're still doing the things that they're doing without the knowledge of a good shepherd how do I deal with sinners? Do I sit on my pedestal of pride and look at them with contempt and judge them? Do I identify myself with them in their dilemma? Am I, am I able to have any kind of sense of compassion? Do I, can, I, can, I, can I put myself in their shoes? You guys understand what I'm saying? Am I able to do that? No, why? Because they're sinners, That's not what Jesus did, right? The dude could put himself in people's shoes. In fact, people couldn't stand it when he would meet with sinners because they didn't think it was right. And Jesus said, I can tell you one thing. This is the most right thing I've come to do. I have not come for the healthy, but for the sick. Why can... And should goodness and mercy follow us? Why can it and why should it? I'm going to read one more scripture. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous, the lost, the sinner, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexual, the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy or the drunkard or the revelers, the swindlers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And look what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you. He's like, you remember that? You remember when you used to swindle? Remember when you used to revel, you used to party all night long? Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. We love because he first loved us. I can, I can appropriately deal with those who are lost, those who are sinners, those who are far from God and doing things that God doesn't even like to talk about. He doesn't even like to look at. Right? I can do it. Why? Because he first did that for me. Such were, such was Tony Hearing. Amen. The love of a shepherd is the legacy of his sheep. Let's stand.